I'm Anne and I built an MSP from nothing to five million. That felt successful because we were continuing to grow. The services we were offering, there was real value to that. We should have been putting prices up maybe a little bit sooner than we did. It was a, an interesting time making those mistakes, but ultimately I think we came out of it better for it. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Special. Hello and Merry Christmas to you. Welcome to our final podcast of 2022 and a very special episode. You see, this week I want to inspire you to do something amazing with your MSP next year. We are focusing this entire episode on a massive success story. In a second, I'm going to introduce you to a very special person who did the same thing as you did. They started their own business. In fact, it was 19 odd years ago, started their own MSP and then built it up over nearly 20 years into a business, turning over more than five million pounds here in the UK and then exited that business. And they've since gone on to be part of a management team buying other MSPs here in the UK. It's an amazing story that's full of a mix of things that went well and things that didn't go so well. And what I'm aiming to do with this episode is to inspire you to take next year and make next year the year that you really go for it with your MSP, that you go for extra growth and you really push it to the max. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Special. Let me introduce you to this week's very special guest. Yeah. Hi, I'm Anne Antasca. Um, I was the managing director of Zen Zero, and I'm now a non-exec director for that business uh, and continuing to enjoy being part of it. And thank you so much for joining me on this recording, Anne. This is going to be such an inspirational episode. Let's start at the very beginning. So you started Zen Zero all the way back, and it seems so many years ago now, doesn't it? But it was back in the year 2001. So tell us, what were you doing just before you had that entrepreneurial seizure and decided to start your own business? Oh, well, if only I thought I was going to start my own business. It was purely accidental. Um, I was doing some contract work, uh, and I happened to be introduced to some people, and and I just thought, do you know what? I can do better than that. I was seeing people buying IT services, talking to IT people, and it just didn't make sense. And I just knew I could do better than that. So I thought, yeah, I'll start and I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but there, there must have been some kind of an entrepreneurial uh, streak there. I mean, is it, is it something that runs in the family or, or is, is, is your family more sort of from the technology side? You yourself, you, you were a, a technician, you were an IT person before. Yeah, yeah. No, I was in IT. I was actually a software developer doing um, management reports, developing um, very trendy now, Power BI. So I think I was ahead of my time. I really enjoyed helping businesses understand technology and see what technology could do for them. Not not just installing it, but actually going and talking to them so they understood it because it, it didn't feel like that was happening when I spoke to people. And I got real enjoyment out of it, you know, and I, I wanted that satisfaction. And that that's really why I started the business. Yeah, but going from being a software developer to running your own IT firm, you clearly didn't enjoy money then because you must have taken quite a pay cut to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I mean, it's all about the enjoyment as well, you know, seeing the satisfaction out of what you can do and actually seeing the potential of that, you know, what you can deliver to those businesses. And it was it was always more about, you know, providing that extra element, you know, which my software background allowed me to do. You know, it helped businesses to to not only function on technology, to, but to get the most out of it. And I think that's where the, the two things came nicely together. And of course, 2001 is it is literally ancient history, certainly in technology terms. So when you first got started, um, I presume you were, did you just open a break-fix shop? 
Um, actually, it was it was always a, a managed service. I always thought that was really important by not just providing kit or, or fixing kit, but actually providing the service along with it. Now, I mean, that's all, all the rage, obviously, with most MSPs now do that sort of, you know, hand-holding, you know, trying to build that relationship with the customers. But I always thought that was the bit that always interested me. So that's the bit, you know, always did. So it was always about, yes, it was about providing some kits and it was about fixing it if it went wrong. Um, and I've got some horror stories about the good old modems that used to make that really screeching noise. Um, you know, and, and yeah, technology's changed, but it was always about enabling customers to do more. And I think that's why it was exciting. You know that no one uh, watching this or listening to this under the age of 30 has any idea what we're talking about with modems, <laughs> modem screeching. I, I'm not going to imitate that noise for you, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think most of those of us above 30, and I'm certainly well above 30, we uh, we know exactly what you mean. Look, looking back then, if, if, if you sort of started off trying to do those managed services before that was even a phrase, I would say that's what, probably 10, 10 years or more before that was even a, a thing or the thought of as a thing. What kind of um, struggles did you have trying to educate the clients? Because sometimes I think you, you can be a little bit too ahead of the curve, can't you? That's obviously something, again, it's building those relationships. That's that's the most important thing I think you can do, you know, uh, in any business really. But, you know, it's that old adage that, you know, you've got to get to know your clients, people buy from people. And I think they appreciated the fact that, you know, we talked to them. We didn't just sort of provide kit and, and leave them to it. You know, we were trying to help and understand why they needed certain kit, why there were certain uh, levels of service. You know, one of the first things I remember doing, which was, again, it's pretty standard now, but it was it was pretty um, unique at the time, was we insisted on certain things as part of our, our contract. So, all our customers had to have antivirus software that we provided. And we had our struggles with suppliers getting that licensing model right, you know, whereas now, of course, it's it's very standard. You know, we insisted that all our customers had backups. You know, the, these weren't options that we talked about. They were, you know, if you're coming and talking to us about your IT, these are the things you need to have as part of, of that managed service. I think that's where, you know, we were able to grow. People recommended us because of those services. And obviously, we retain customers as well because, you know, if things did go wrong, we'd got everything in place to put it right again. So, yeah, I think that was that was quite important in that growth. And obviously now, you know, it's pretty commonplace in the MSP market that that's how the model works. Yeah. And when we, when we talk about you selling managed services 20 odd years ago, were, were you doing that on a recurring revenue basis or or did you have, I know a lot of people did the, the blocks thing, didn't they, where they would sell a, a block of units and then use those units up? Or did you have some other kind of way of billing your clients? What we did initially, we, we carried on doing and, and still do as a business today in, in that we, we, we have a fixed amount of, we, we charge a fixed amount per month. Mm -hmm. Um, and that allows almost unlimited support. Obviously, there are limits to that. If a customer needed to call us, what we didn't want them to do was to think, I know I'm going to use up a block of time. So maybe I won't call them just yet. Situation gets worse. Things happen. I clicked on an email I shouldn't have done. Those sort of things. You know, you want the customer to ring you straight away about those rather than worrying about using up units of time. So, yeah, we, we always had a, a way of doing the contract that it was a, a fixed price depending on the number of users. The, the sort of complexity of the infrastructure um, and we just had a sort of fair usage policy on that so we'd monitor how much the customers were using it and obviously if, if they peaked if they suddenly you know started using more than we thought they should well that 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 either was a conversation about price or there was a conversation as to why are you using us so much there's obviously clearly something not working so again it was a great way of having that engagement with the customer regularly 
um, just to, to make sure everything was on on par. Now, the, the, the first few years that you were running that business, um, d- did you kind of run through the, the standard first three, four, five years that most MSPs, in fact, most businesses go through where, you know, you yourself get really busy and then you hire some help and the help doesn't quite provide you as many hours as you're buying because, you know, you, you might be buying 40 hours a week of someone's time, but it takes another 10 hours of your your time to keep that person going. And then you have that kind of, frustrating thing of trying to increase the work uh, to, to, to pay for the employees and the chicken and egg thing of do I hire more resources first or do I get more customers? Did you did you go through all of that and how many years was was, oh. was that a struggle for you? Well, I'd say always a struggle. <laughs> uh, those things always happen. I, I always think it's like steps upstairs, you know, you'll, you'll go quite smoothly for a while and then you'll suddenly hit a bit of a, a barrier as you're going to go up the next step and you have to make that in ne- next investment in, in people. So, you know, when, when I started the business, it, it became clearly obvious that I couldn't do everything. So you had to make your first hire. Then it was like, well, how, you know, suddenly you've, as you say, you've got that huge drop in, in sort of effectively income to the business because you've got to pay someone. I think that's something you go through, but you learn by that um, as you go through your journey. So you, you have similar problems later on. They're just slightly bigger problems or, or bigger challenges, I should say. Not really problems, they're challenges. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think when you went and my, my business growth journey is nowhere near as impressive as yours, but you're, um, I think you're right that, that what when you hire your first person, in fact, my, my very first employee, Lucy, uh, Lazy Lucy, we used to call her, um, after we after we'd fired her, um, and and I I made all the mistakes on that first employee. I hired the wrong person too quickly, and I expected them to to you know do everything that needed to be done. And and it's a classic mistake. And I've made it. I'm sure you've made it. Everyone's made that that mistake. Um, but but certainly early on, when that first employee turns out to be wrong after two weeks, you don't sleep, do you? It's it it is actually. It's like your entire world has come crashing down. Whereas I guess when you've got forty or fifty stuff. And and you get a higher wrong because everyone gets a higher wrong now and again. It, as you say, it becomes a challenge. It's it's a minor annoyance rather than a complete tragedy. Yeah, and you, you've just you've got to face different challenges because you've got to put structure in. You've suddenly got a you know you've got a service desk of people, and then suddenly you need a service desk manager. So it's just different challenges. Um, but you know, people are uh, you know as a, as a service industry, people are absolutely key to to the the business. Um, and I was very fortunate that I happened to know the first person I employed in advance, which was great because there was sort of a took away a lot of the strain that you'd normally get with just recruiting someone. Then you got the second person. I think it was a, I think it was my second person I hired that was the oh what have I done? <laughs> oh that was a mistake. And bizarrely, it was, it was actually a salesperson. I, I, you know, myself and the other guy was technical, and we thought right, well we need to we need to grow the business. At that point, we were already thinking, you know, we need to get that that next contract in. You know, we wanted an office, you know, those those overheads that you initially need as you start those the business. So but oh dear, that was yeah, that was one of those mistakes. The first the first one, you know, very junior person. So we moved on from that quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. Now that's what's really interesting, Anne, is is you know, and I talk to a lot of MSPs, I interview a lot of a lot of people who have, have grown a business and have been very ambitious. And it's quite rare that early on in a in a in a in a when when someone starts a business for the sake of right, I want to do something, I know I can be good at it, and and you know, I want to do a good job and, and look after the customers, which is why most people start most businesses. It's quite rare for them as early on as their 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 third or their second mm-hmm. or 
or third hire to actually start to think about taking on a salesperson. Was Did you know from the beginning that you wanted to build up something big and impressive and, and something that you could one day sell? Or, or was that something that it, it took you a few years to get to that point? I always wanted to be successful. Anything I do, I want to be good at. And I, you know, I wanted to be successful at. And certainly, you know, in the early days, there was a need to grow it or a wish to grow it. So obviously, you know, it, it seemed in my head an obvious thing to do because it's like that, I'll hire a salesperson, we'll get loads of sales in, this will be easy. Um, but of course, it's not quite that easy. To be fair, it wasn't, I think, you know, we were probably turning over 800,000. Um, we'd probably got, you know, seven, eight people. And, and we did then make another investment in sales. And that was a, a, a more structured and a, a more well thought out hire in terms of sales. Um, someone with a, a little bit more experience that could keep my uh, enthusiasm in check as to what a salesperson could actually deliver, but actually build on on the relationships we've got with existing customers, but obviously also look at what we needed to do to drive new business. Was there a pivotal moment where you perhaps had like a long holiday and you came back and you thought, you know, we're doing really well, but we're, we're never going to be super successful if we carry on down this route. And, and, and you know, was there that moment where you, you pivoted off and did things differently or was it just an iterative process? Been always thinking about growth and wanting to make the business better, you know, always reinvesting in the business. You know, it was it was never really, you know, a business where I, te- you know, was doing it just to take income out of. I was I was growing something to be proud of. I think it, it's difficult because it's some it's difficult when you've not done it to think what is the end game? What you know, what am I actually trying to achieve? And for a long time, for me, it was it was more about the growth of the business, the success of the business, you know, making sure that people we we bought into the business enjoyed the business as well. Um, and just making sure that the clients were happy and, and just wanting to build a successful business. And that was really the, the focus for a very long time. Um, it was probably only in the last five years we started to think about, well, at some point there's got to be an exit. At some point, you know, we, we need to think about what's next and, and what we want for the business. I'm going to come back to that exit uh, shortly because that's, I think, I think quite an interesting part of the story. Let me just ask you about success. You've said a few times that you wanted to be successful in that business. How do you know when you've achieved success? And <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I talked to someone you who's who's exited, who's built up a business, who's exited that business by any measure. You are successful. But I guess we, we all have different things that we measure success by. So as you, as you were building that business and, you know, as you were, you, you were clearly making money out of it, you were, you were clearly winning more clients, the business was getting, was getting bigger. Did you feel as though the, 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 that, that mythical I am successful level was, was getting further away from you? Was it tangible or, or, or was it just something that you, it was always just out of your reach? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So for me, the the measure of success was customer retention and how happy our customers was were. Because I always thought that was a you know if we were doing a good job and that was ultimately what you know the business is about. We wanted to do a good job for our customers. So you know as as our the number of customers extended, you know some of our customers grew at the same time as us. Um, we grew at the same time as them. You know that felt successful. Um, because we were we were continuing to grow and we'd always set ourselves sort of a budget for the year and, and try and hit that. So if you, if, you know, you, you planned out, you know, what you wanted your revenue to be, how many customers you wanted to attract, and we always kept a close eye on that. So again, if, if we hit those targets, that was a, a good measure of success. 
I have to say, one of my ambitions was always to try and get out the day-to-day business. And that would have been, you know, another great achievement. I, I must admit, I never really achieved that. <laughs> you know, you always, there's always something to do, uh, you know, always something you, you have an idea and you want to, you want to do something. But yeah, I think, you know, it sounds a bit odd, but, but yeah, that customer success was really how I would measure the success, my success in the business. Did you proactively try and remove yourself from the day-to-day running of the business at some point, perhaps by putting in like a general manager or a managing director? At one point in, in the journey, we'd, I think we'd got to about four million. A um, little bit of me thought, do you know what? This is getting a bit too big for me. And I bought in a managing director. I bought in a finance director and I bought in a sales director. I thought, I'll go, I'll go the full hog. <laughs> um, and actually what it taught me was there was no one better to run the business than me. And, and actually, that was um, a bit of a reawakening and a, it gave us momentum to move forward as a business. You know, um, the team were very supportive of, of the changes, but, but ultimately, you know, we came out of that more focused, more enthused, more energetic. Yeah, I think it, it was a, an interesting time making those mistakes, but ultimately, I think we came out of it better for it. So do you think the process of hiring a management team from scratch, which is a huge thing to do, do you think the process of doing that actually gave you the confidence to realise that you could do this? Yes. Yeah, no, and absolutely. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. We, you know, we've promoted within the teams, which is always great. You know, people who joined us very early on, you know, went into those management roles, you know, and ultimately, you know, we made some mistakes, um, but we brought in some great management team members towards the end as well you know that in I'd say about three years ago before I, I you know exited after after the, the the mistakes you know that's that's the good thing about mistakes is as long as you learn from them they're actually really useful yes. um so you know just just making those mistakes and then you know we brought in a very experienced service delivery director and you know it, it was just a marvelous you know everyone uh, really took to him you know made a big difference knew a little bit more about how to structure the teams was very specific about our industry you know just made a big difference i think as long as mistakes don't wipe you out and you make sure you don't repeat <laughs> the same mistake again and mistakes can actually be you know more useful learning experience than anything else before we come on to talk about the exit let's let's look back i want you to look back over the nearly 20 years that you were growing that business and driving it. And I'm sure there were loads of very, very high moments and also some very low moments. My core question that I'm interested in is if you could get in a TARDIS, which for those who don't know, it's Doctor Who's time machine on the British TV show. If you could get in a TARDIS and travel back and talk to yourself of 2001, what key pieces of advice would you give yourself? Essentially, what would you do differently if you could do it all over again? Like you say, the mistakes you make are part of the journey and it it would have been great to bypass some of those, but I think they're, they're part of that 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 journey um one would have one i guess comment i'd say is more confidence just that you you know we're going to build this and it's going to grow ultimately looking back i enjoyed the journey um so yeah i I probably wouldn't want to give too much away to myself in the past because i think having those challenges were a good thing they might not be nice at the time but they're a good thing at the end of it that was a very good politician's answer. You completely sidestepped my question there. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do uh, the journalist thing and ask you essentially the same question but with different words. Um, look, looking back, what what do you wish you'd done faster, or what do you wish you'd done sooner? Probably focusing on profit a little bit more sooner. 
Um, we tended to be that as long as we were we were getting new customers and we were you know servicing and as long as we were making you know some money, we didn't worry too much about profitability and we probably let too many customers um, you know the, the the costings needed to be corrected and I think we should have done that a little bit earlier. It would have been good to focus on on you know that we're actually there to make money at the end of the day because we're a business and I think it would have been useful to plan that out a little bit better, just understanding that you know. The services we we're offering, there was real value to that. And we should have been putting prices up maybe a little bit sooner than we did. Because um, it's really easy. And I know everyone says it, you know, don't put, you know, it's really easy not to put prices up. But, you know, it, it is actually, I think customers appreciate that if they're getting value for money, then, then that's a, a good thing to be doing. Yeah, they don't mind paying for it. And also, as, as you're growing a business, I think if once you've covered your own personal, assuming you own the business, once you've covered your own personal income needs, and assuming that you're you know, not yourself looking to get a yacht or, or that, that house in Barbados or, or, or whatsoever, it, it becomes easier to not put the prices up and not to worry about the profit, especially as the turnover is growing, because the, you can look at it and think, oh, well, we can always monetize that. We can always yeah. turn more of that turnover into profit down the line. But I agree with you, far too many and this isn't just an MSP thing. This is all small businesses. It's just too easy to, to go another year and not put your prices up and, and, and just hold back. Okay, let's talk about the exit. So um, you exited, if, uh, let me just check my notes here. So you exited uh, two years ago. So it was December uh, 2020. How long before that exit did you realize that you were done with the business, that the business was, was ready to, to move on, perhaps without you at the helm? Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting journey, really, because um, the year before 2019, before we did our, our deal, um, we were actually looking to do our own acquisition. We, we were really focused on growth. Um, you know, we'd sort of hit one of those little barriers that needed a, a bit of a step up. We, we needed to increase the number of services. We were going after bigger clients. We wanted to get into different technologies. So, you know, we were actually looking to do our own acquisition um, in, in 2019, and we, we looked at a number of businesses. And then, of course, we all know what happened in March 2020, you know, time-wise and timeline-wise, though it actually worked really well for us because I think it would have been, you know, we could have made some mistakes, whereas, you know, what's actually happened is we've, we've I've exited, um, but the businesses continue to grow. You know, I'd love to say it was planned out for that year, but actually we were probably thinking it was going to be another three or four years before we got to that point. But it's funny how sometimes things happen earlier than you expect and actually all for the best, um, you know, as yes. far as we were concerned. And even though you're not actively leading the business, you're, you're still involved in the business because you dropped down, I think it was January this year, wasn't it, that you dropped That's down right. from a, a leadership role down to a non-executive role? For a year, I stayed on in the business because, as I say, we weren't I wasn't necessarily looking to to get away from the business. Um, just wanted the business to go through that next step, you know, that that next level. We'd got a, a great team of people, and again, we still needed to build it. And this was a a much better way of us doing that and achieving that for the business um, than if we'd tried to do something slightly differently. So yeah, so it was it was a it was a very interesting <laughs> twelve months, as you can imagine. Um, and, and the business has now done a couple of additional acquisitions. Obviously, during COVID, it's had its challenges. But, you know, again, it's just been able to see the, the, the business continue on that journey and the people within the business carry on their journey. Um, so it's been it's been great to see that, that happen. And, and obviously, it's great for me. I've got more time now since I've stood back. Um, but it's still great to be involved in the business and see, see it growing and continuing to see what how, you know, how it evolves in the future. 
you exited to a, a private equity organization uh, called Ford House. And we actually had Nicholas Ashford from Ford House on this podcast. From memory, it was episode 122, which was back in March this year. And that's worth going and, and having a listen to that, especially if you're thinking of exiting your MSP in the next year or two. When you were looking at exit options, Anne, did, did that one stand out from day one? Was that a number of different options or what, what sort of drew you into that? Yeah. So uh, again, as we hadn't necessarily been looking to exit at the time, you know, it's not like we did a whole big beauty parade of, of different investors or, you know, speaking to other MSPs. We'd, we'd, we'd spoken to some, but, we, you know, nothing nothing too serious. But yeah, I mean, the, the, speaking to Ford House, the opportunity just seemed too good to miss, really. Um, you know, it was a smaller private equity firm. You know, I got to speak to the partners they cared about the business, you know, again, it was quite a unique way that they were funded. Um, and it just meant that, you know, the, the the future for the business, you know, looked really attractive under that, you know, under that um, investment. So, you know, protecting people, making sure that, you know, we talked about culture, which was really important, you know, and how, how we grew that, that business. So, the enthusiasm I got from them and the knowledge from Ford House that, that they'd, you know, they knew a lot about the MSP market already. Um, this was more than just an investment. It was, you know, something that they'd, they'd researched and, and obviously cared a lot about. So for me, you know, it made sense to go with that, that partner. And clearly Ford House has, you know, t- it's, it's been two years. And uh, as you said, you've already made a, a couple of acquisitions and Zen Zero has, has continued to grow. Uh, and I know that, the, uh, you know, a great deal of, of work has been done over the last couple of years, building on the, the work that you put in uh, of a couple of decades of, of your life. So <laughs> tell us about the, it sounds terrible when you say it like that, but that, that's the reality of it, isn't it? You know, e- each of us can only do something like this once or twice if we're going to put 10 or 20 years in uh, every time we do it. So you, you've acquired a couple of other MS- MSPs, and you're now working with uh, the, the overall management team to, to look for other uh, MSPs. So tell, tell us what makes the, the, the perfect MSP for, for someone that's listening to this. Uh, you know, wh- wh- whereabouts would they be geographically based? Would it just be UK or would it be other countries? What kind of turnovers would those businesses be? What, what, what's your ideal partner that you might want to talk to in 2023? Yeah, no. So yeah, I, I, I've got a great role now of going out and talking to other MSPs, which is, is great because it, it, we're in a quite a unique uh, industry in that we all like talking to each other and sharing stories and sharing our experiences, which is great. It's not like some industries where it's all very closed book. But yeah, so we're looking for high quality, you know, MSPs. Uh, we're looking for that cultural fit. Um, so we're looking for businesses, you know, that offer quality services, you know, with good customers of a, a, a good size. You know, we're looking for businesses that are transacting with those slightly bigger businesses. Um, obviously, it's important again that technologies are aligned. So we're looking for we're looking for people that are dealing predominantly with the Microsoft technology stack. Um, you know, and again, we're looking to, to to increase our skill sets in terms of Azure and Power Platform, Power BI. You know, all those sort of services now that are adding on to the um, onto the services that we offer. So as far as Zenzira is concerned, yeah, we're, we're focused predominantly in the UK. Um, we do have offices now outside of the UK to help us service customers, probably in, you know, sort of 3 million uh, turnover plus. But again, it depends if there's a real niche that uh, an organisation uh, has a particular skill set in. That's, again, something that would be attractive to us. 
Okay, and we'll come on to your contact details uh, just in a second. Um, you did mention that you, you've kind of stepped back from the business and started doing fun things, other things. Surely you haven't got a hobby or anything now, Anne. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great, isn't it? I, I, although I don't know. every t- Everyone says you, you, you fill your time. But yeah, I mean, I love sailing. So um, I'm able to go out and do that a little bit more. But um, yeah, still keen to, it's, it's a great position to be in, have that that real life balance that everyone talks about, work-life balance. So um, I get to, to dip in and as I say, still be involved in a business I love, but yeah, have, have a bit more time to do the things that, you know, a bit more fun. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. You've been absolutely inspirational. You know, it's it's so rare for someone to to lay out exactly what they did over a long business journey to to build a business from nothing. From if you you know if you if you think about what you've actually achieved, and I'm sure you've reflected back on it. But all of us are on this mission to turn you know nothing. Literally, we're sitting down in our spare bedroom on day one of the business, and we're looking to create that from from literally zero, where it doesn't exist, to something that's so valuable that someone else is willing to actually pay money and, and take that off our hands and and keep you involved which is which is very much a measure of you and what you've achieved over the last 20 years so thank you so much for uh, spilling your story with us for sharing that uh, well done for what you've achieved and just for any msp that does want to just have a chat with you about whether or not they would be a good fit for zen zero what's the best way to get in touch with you if anyone wants to link me in or uh, and drop me a message on linkedin uh, or drop me an email. My my email's Anne with an E dot Tasker at zenzero.co.uk. Obviously, you can look me up on the website or, or find me on LinkedIn. It's probably just as easy. But yeah, it'd be great to speak to to anyone that's interested. And you know, even if you don't uh, think it would be a fit, if you want to just have a chat, more than happy to do that as well. Coming up, coming up next week. Hey, folks. I'm Marcus Sheridan, the author of They Ask, You Answer. I'm going to be on the show next week. Yeah, we're going to start the year right. We're going to talk about how you can become the most trusted voice in your space. Oh, you are going to love that next week. Marcus is an astonishing guy. The content marketing ideas he's come up with are astonishing. And next week's interview, our first for 2023, is also going to be astonishing. Next week, you'll hear why you must put your prices on your website. You'll hear why you must invest more in original content next year and why you must, must, must do more videos. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP. MSP Marketing Podcast.